Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 13th, 2017. This is Peter Serretta. Today in the news, we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino's next film and who might be starring in it. We'll be talking about who might be directing Suicide Squad 2. We'll be talking about the Scarface remake, Losing a Director. A bunch of Black Panther details have been revealed in Entertainment Weekly. We will give you the scoop. And Akiva Goldsman is developing a Rainbow Six movie, Corden Ryan Reynolds, to star. And in our feature presentation, Ben Pearson will join us to talk about 10 filmmakers who he thinks should direct the next Fast and the Furious movie. But right now, let's get to the news. On the phone now is Bradford Omen, who you know as Ethan Anderton on the site, and Ben Pearson, who you know as Ben Pearson on the site. (laughs) How's it going, guys? Hey, what's up? Great. Let's get started with... Quentin Tarantino, you know, he only has two movies left before he completes his filmography, or so he claims. And one of those two movies, apparently, is about the Manson family murders. Um, The project's title is unknown at the moment. Jack Drew wrote the story for SlashFilm.com, and Harvey and Bob Weinstein are producing. Uh, The story originally comes from Hollywood Reporter, who says that Tarantino has been talking to A-list actors about his unique take on the Manson family murders, and they're in the process of trying to get stars attached. Brad, Bur- or, I mean Brad Pitt and Jennifer Lawrence have both been in the running. Actually, earlier today, we even heard that Tarantino was talking to Margot Robbie to play uh, Sharon Tate for this story. Ben, is this a movie you want to see from Quentin Tarantino? I think so. It brings Tarantino back to Los Angeles uh, and back to, um, you know, relatively modern times. He's been working in Westerns recently and uh, was in talks to do another Western after this. But I think he's sort of uh, shifted gears. And as anyone who listened to Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This podcast uh, knows, the Manson family murders. I mean, this this story has tons of cinematic potential. So I think the idea of a... um, uh, a filmmaker like Tarantino, who is so closely associated with Los Angeles, tackling one of LA's major biggest, you know, scandals in in the whole city's history. I think it's a big deal. I mean, it's definitely interesting that 
Quentin Tarantino is tackling something that is a real life story. Uh, you know, the closest he came to doing that was Inglorious Bastards, and even then, he took plenty of liberties with history, uh, as we saw at the end of that movie. So I, I don't know. It's I, I feel like I'm I'm intrigued, but also I'm not necessarily sure that the Manson story is one that you know is needs to be retold again. You know, even if it's in movie form by a director like Quentin Tarantino, you know, it's an extremely well-known story. And I'm I'm curious as to what he can bring to it, but I just don't know if it feels like the best use of his talent, especially if he's only going to be making, you know, a a couple more films before he, quote unquote, retires. Yeah, I almost feel like I would rather see a TV miniseries like American Crime Story take this on because I don't don't feel like a two hour or three hour movie is the... I think this needs a longer form platform like television can allow now. Let's move on. The Shallows director might be directing Suicide Squad 2. Ben, you wrote this up for the site. What can you tell us about this? Yes. So Deadline reports that uh, Juan Colet Serra, the Spanish filmmaker who directed Orphan, The Shallows, and all those Liam Neeson movies, unknown, nonstop, run all night, is now the new frontrunner to direct Suicide Squad 2. Um, David Ayer obviously wrote and directed the first one, which had a ton of problems, as has been well reported on our side and elsewhere. All these behind-the-scenes issues. Famously, it had two different edits, one from the studio and a trailer company, and then one from David Ayer and his people. The trailer company's uh, edit made the final cut, and that was the one that sort of won out and went to theaters. Uh, Will Smith and Margot Robbie are coming back as Deadshot and Harley Quinn, and um, yeah, this is obviously something the movie made $745 million worldwide, even though it was pretty terrible. So it's something that the studio is, is very much um, interested in exploring as quickly as possible. Uh, they had met with Mel Gibson previously, but uh, it looks like Colette Seurat is going to be the guy, um, at least at this point. I mean, I definitely like this choice over Mel Gibson and David Ayer. But I'm not sure I, I want to see a Suicide Squad 2 movie. I think I'd much rather see that Margot Robbie, Harley Quinn standalone film than see another Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Gotham City Sirens sounds like it has much more potential. But I think just the idea is too, um, it's too enamoring, you know, for the, for the Warner Brothers executives to give up the concept of a, a team movie that includes both Will Smith and Margot Robbie. They're not just going to let that idea die, as unfortunate as that may be. But yeah, I'm sort of right there with you, especially since Adam Kozad is writing the script. He is not somebody that gives me a lot of hope for this film, but, uh, but it's a good choice for a director, and we'll see if maybe he can wrangle something decent out of it. Speaking of Suicide Squad director David Ayer, he was supposed to direct a remake of Scarface, another remake of Scarface, and it looks like he has dropped out of that production. Brad, what can you tell us about this? He's gone. He's not doing it anymore. End of story. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, that's honestly, for, I think it's kind of a bummer because Scarface is the kind of crime story I think David Ayer really excels at telling. Um, he He knows how to get dirty and gritty when it comes to these uh, kind of stories. So if there was a movie that he was going to excel at and it wasn't Suicide Squad, I feel like a remake of Scarface was going to be it. But apparently uh, his script revisions for the movie were too dark for the executives at Universal. Scarface isn't exactly a lighthearted crime movie, so I'm not exactly sure what they're regarding as quote-unquote too dark. Um, You know, because, I mean, the one with Al Pacino is a pretty violent, you know, twisted affair, 
So it, I guess this had to be something extreme, but like just that much more violent for Universal to be uncomfortable about making it with him. So yeah, now the hunt's on for a new director. Apparently Peter Berg was once uh, being eyed, but he's already passed and moved on. They're also thinking about Hell or High Water, uh, director David McKenzie. Um, so I mean, I, I really don't. I really don't know. Like it's it's tough to say if whether or not we need another Scarface remake. Um, but I guess you know we we need to keep the sales of Scarface posters for college bedrooms fresh as the years come. <laughs> yeah, I almost, I almost want to do an article on Slash Film with the ten directors who should remake Scarface, and the number one entry in that would be Brian De Palma. You've you know you should have seen it already. That that that, that is the answer. I don't think we need another Scarface remake. Um, t- today in Entertainment Weekly. They released a lot of details of Marvel's The Black Panther. Uh, we haven't really, kn- we don't really know much about this film until this cover story came out. So, Brad, what did, what did we learn about Black Panther from this cover story, this Comic Con cover story from Entertainment Weekly? Well, it's kind of cool, actually. I don't know if you guys knew this, but Black Panther is a Marvel Comics character, and he, he first showed up in Captain America's Civil War. Have you guys heard about this? Oh, yeah. Ben, what, what did we learn from the Entertainment Weekly cover <laughs> story? <laughs> no, honestly, we, we learned a lot of cool stuff um, about Black Panther, especially, you know, uh, there's a lot of details about the setting of Wakanda and kind of how it's important in to to the rest of the world and why it's this hidden, mysterious place. We're going to learn a lot more um, about Vibranium, which fans of Captain America will know is the metal that was used to create his shield. But vibranium, as we also learned in Avengers Age of Ultron, is also a very versatile substance. It was used to help create vision. Ultron was trying to create an entity to, uh, you know, help cleanse uh, the world of humanity. And it's uh, it happens to be um, part of this herb called the heart-shaped herb that actually gives Wakandan leaders their superhuman strength. That's what gives Black Panther his power. Um, and like there's in addition to these details, there's a ton of gorgeous new photos from the movie that show how vibrant and colorful the set of Ryan Coogler's movie is. And we, we just haven't seen Marvel characters like this before. And it's been a while since we've seen any characters like this really on screen before. The, the costume design is so intricate and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's like honestly, some of these images are just stunning. And there's, it's so cool to see this kind of style brought to a comic book movie, especially the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which some people feels lacks a sort of distinct style. Oh, for sure. And if you look at these photos, it, the first thing you take in is this looks like unlike any superhero movie we've seen. But the second thing is, wow, this has a cast that is unlike any other ensemble casts I've seen in years. Andy Serkis is playing Ulysses Claw, who we saw in Avengers Age of Ultron, but he's going to have a much bigger role in this film well, he's, he seems hell-bent on revealing Wakanda for what it really is, which, as we saw in the teaser trailer, he describes as being uh, the city that was really what people thought was El Dorado. Uh, you know, it wasn't actually in South America. It's been in Africa this whole time. So he um, he sold Vibranium to Ultron in, in Age of Ultron. And it seems like one of the things that we learned in Age of Ultron as kind of a, a little detail is that apparently... Uh, his grandfather, or his great-grandfather, I forget which, was killed by uh, Black Panther's father, uh, Chaka, T'Chaka, however you say that. Um, so I think that he has his own axe to grind. It remains to be seen 
if that actually comes into play in Black Panther, but it seems like he has kind of a longstanding grudge with the the rulers of Wakanda, and he seems to kind of want to knock them down a peg. Yeah, and there's a lot more to the story. There's the photos that you were talking about. There is Eric Killmonger, who's played by Michael B. Jordan of Creed fame and Fantastic Four fame. Uh, you can read the whole article on SlashFilm.com. But let's move on to Rainbow Six. I don't know much about Rainbow Six. I know it was a video game. It was also was it a book before that? Yeah. So, well, yeah. So yeah. Tom so Clancy thick book. <laughs> yeah, this is one of Tom Clancy's uh, novels that came out in 1998, and then yeah, spawned a whole video game franchise. I remember playing a couple of those games when I was you know 12 or 13 years old or something. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's about a Navy SEAL named John Clark who has actually shown up in a couple of Clancy adaptations before. Uh, he was played previously by Willem Dafoe and Liev Schreiber in movies like Clear and Present Danger and stuff like that. Um, the Harrison Ford films back in the, in the 90s. But uh, yeah, Akiva Goldsman is developing a Rainbow Six movie now at Paramount. He's shifted his whole operation over to from Warner Brothers to Paramount, where he, you know, led the writers' room on the Transformers series, uh, and now apparently uh, has, you know, worked his way into uh, the good graces of the people over at Paramount. And now he's going to be he's de- developing a ton of projects. But yes, Rainbow Six is is sort of the main one that everyone's talking about right now because he's reportedly looking at Ryan Reynolds to star in this movie. Uh, to me, that seems like a bad choice because R- Reynolds to me sort of seems like a guy who maybe would have been in the running to play Jack Ryan, another Tom Clancy character uh, who was played by Chris Pine in the past, who was played by Harrison Ford in the past, who was played by Ben Affleck, ben Affleck. in the past. And yeah. So he seems very much more like in that sort of, uh, you know, almost like a bland white guy, pretty boy type of role. And apparently John Clark from, just the fact that Willem Dafoe played him, the idea that Dafoe and Reynolds could be playing the same character seems a little uh, incongruous to me. It seems like uh, John Clark is a little bit more of a, a down and dirty, sort of grittier, uh, you know, grizzled character. And I don't know if Ryan Reynolds, especially the Ryan Reynolds that we've come to know, you know, the sort of sarcastic, fast talking Ryan Reynolds is going to be the best fit for that. Uh, but then again, I also sort of don't think that a Rainbow Six movie needs to happen at all. So I don't know. What do you think, Peter? Yeah. I'm not sure this movie needs to happen at all, but I think we're like a day or two away from finding out that they're building a Tom Clancy cinematic universe. At, um, and this is the, you know, this is the starting point. This is their mummy of the of the of their their film and it's going to come all together. I know they tried to do that with the Jack Ryan cinematic universe mm-hmm. and that kind of stalled in uh, Yeah, I guess year. that would be that would mean that the Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit is their version of Dracula Untold, I guess. <laughs> yes. Um Brad, what, what what do you think about this? Do you have any connection to the games or to the book? I played the game games a bit, you know, uh, around the time they came out, just, you know, just because it was something to do and fr- friends like to play multiplayer. Um, I, I read Rainbow Six when I was in high school, but I, I like I seriously don't remember much about it. It's a very dense book, as most Tom Clancy books are. It's very um, technical, right? Yeah, very, very technical. Lots of like information where you, you, he definitely knows a lot about how these kind of operatives work and how these sort of government organizations operate. Yeah, like um, what what Michael Crichton was to science, Tom Clancy is to like the military. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think my biggest problem with it though is that I don't understand how Akiva Goldsman keeps getting to make movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
like he he's he's had a couple you know decent movies here and there like i i i'm a defender of a beautiful mind uh cinderella man's pretty decent um but you know we're talking about a guy here who wrote winter's tale and who wrote batman and robin and uh who bored the hell out of us by making a da vinci code movie and you know it's just i I don't really see what the appeal is anymore especially now that we've seen transformers the last night clearly he didn't help anything by making that any more of a cohesive sci-fi sequel and so it's just i don't know i I just feel like it's time for akiva goldsman to like go go do anything else (laughs) i would love to see that happen i feel like he's one of those guys that's just really good in the room and he's managed to uh to sort of horn swoggle executives into thinking that he's uh he's legit but i don't know we'll see what happens there's a lot of things that are good in a room. I have a lamp that lights my entire room, but I, <laughs> I, I don't hear a pitch for a movie from my lamp. I do. That would be good. <laughs> well, Brad, thank you for joining us for the news. Uh, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Slashfilm.com is where I write all about the movie news and the TV news. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And check out my silly podcast where we talk about movies and play trivia games and crack jokes called Go Flix Yourself. And now in our future presentation, Ben Pearson is going to talk about the 10 filmmakers who should direct the next Fast and the Furious movie. Uh, we, we know that F. Gary Gray is probably not coming back for the next movie. So who's going to direct it? Who, sh- who should we want to direct it? Ben, give us some options. All right, so Michelle McLaren is uh, a name that always pops up on director wish lists like this, and I think it's for good reason. She's proven that she can work in worlds like The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Game of Thrones, and you know, really bring it every single time. Uh, we have not seen a feature presentation from her yet. She was at one point attached to direct Wonder Woman and ended up falling off of that. Uh, so I would really love to see her step it up uh, in a big movie, and I think... Um, she has proven working with big budgeted shows before that she could easily handle the scope of uh, a fast movie should that be something that she's interested in i think i've been saying for five years that i want to see her direct a feature (laughs) yeah and every time we do one of these director wish lists she's always on it like you mentioned uh michelle rodriguez recently threatened to leave the project or leave Mm -hmm. the franchise if they didn't increase the importance of female characters in this world it would be good to hire a female voice behind the camera to maybe help that yeah absolutely and it would probably give the whole different you know the whole franchise a different energy which i think is something that a lot of people after the fate of the furious would like to see happen with the fast and furious franchise we know that they have nine and ten sort of on the books for uh, what they want to do with the main story. There might be spinoffs that may or may not happen. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think the idea of uh, infusing the franchise with some female energy could only be a good thing. Who else is on your list? All right, so we've got Maj- uh, Miguel Sapochnik, who is another Game of Thrones director. He's the guy who helmed uh, Hard Home, Winds of Winter, and The Battle of the Bastards, which are some of the biggest and best episodes of the whole series run. Uh, and he in those episodes uh, proved to me anyway that he could handle complex battle sequences with fire and horses and hundreds of extras and all sorts of CG work. And that sort of thing seems like it would easily port over to being able to handle big explosions and car chases and all sorts of ridiculous stuff in the, uh, the fast universe. So I feel like he'd probably be a pretty cool choice as well. He has directed a movie before uh, repo men back in 2010, which I didn't see, but I think, um, 
the uh, sense that I've gotten from people who have seen that movie is that he's grown a lot as a director uh, in the past, you know, decade and, uh, and is probably a better filmmaker now than he was seven years ago. Yeah. These two choices have very little experience uh, for feature films. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if they would hire someone with so little experience for, even if they've had experience on TV for, you know, such a huge franchise sequel, especially with, you know, star Wars, having so much trouble in that right. area. So that brings me to your next entry on your list, which is basically, let's go back to the well. Let's, let's yes. get some, one of these people that has created one of the, the, the better Fast and the Furious movies before. And th- that's Justin Lin, Rob Cohen, who directed the original, or James mm-hmm. Wan. He directed Furious 7. Um, yeah, so I think the idea of uh, Universal saying, all right, we don't want to risk anything. This would be a safe choice, right? Just going back to somebody who knows exactly what is required for um, you know, getting a huge production like this off the ground and taking it all the way through to the finish line and being able to turn in a product that uh, is good and entertaining and, and you know pleases the fans and also is capable of making a billion dollars at the box office, which is always their big you know overarching goal. Um, so I think any of these guys, you know, this this franchise loves family, right? So they would the, the idea that they would go back to one of their previous quote unquote family members uh, seems like a legitimate thing that they could do. And these guys have proven that they can work under the tyranny of Vin Diesel. So <laughs> Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, moving on, another name on your list that I really like is Catherine Bigelow because she's already directed Point Break, which is essentially a Fast and the Furious movie before Fast and the Furious, the franchise, even existed. Right. Um, why is she on your list? Yeah, that's the reason, really. I mean, the um, I think the original idea for the first Fast and the Furious movie came from like a a vibe article about street racing in New York City. But I think the cinematic template for the first film, for Rob Cohen's first movie back in 2001, is very, very obviously Point Break. It's almost beat for beat the exact same movie all the way through just with cars instead of surfing. Um, So the idea that uh, that Bigelow could come in and sort of put her own spin on this, it's, it's clear that she has the capability of handling a movie of this size and scope and, you know, action and all that kind of stuff. She's done those kinds of movies her entire career. Uh, and her recent stuff has been much more toward um, sort of realistic depictions of war with, you know, the Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. But I think she would definitely have a good time coming back into that sort of uh, insanity of the Fast and Furious type of uh, movie. And I think she could she could definitely pull this off. I feel like she might be one of those people that doesn't want to go back to the blockbuster from, you know, she's in a night, her nice auteur, you know, uh, mm-hmm. award worthy filmmaking phase. And I, I feel like that is a box that she is enjoying being in. Let's talk about other people on the list that love being in the blockbuster space. And let's talk about the Wachowskis because, oh, yeah. you know, they, they made the Matrix movies. They have one of the best car chases of all time in my opinion and why would they be good for a fast and the furious movie so sense eight their uh, ambitious netflix show has been canceled they do have a two-hour finale that sort of wraps things up coming soon but uh as far as i know they don't have another film project lined up after this so there is a slight chance i realize it's a little bit uh out there but they could come in and handle something like this uh 
I mean, just look at Speed Racer. Look at what they did with that. I mean, that's all the uh, the evidence that you need that they can handle uh, a movie that deals with cars in a major way. That movie is is balls to the wall, bonkers all the way through. And I think um, if uh, Universal wants to up the ante in any way, which they seem to be sort of sort of on that path with this series leading many people to wonder if this move if this franchise is ever going to actually get into space or what's going on with it but if they do want to sort of kick it up to another level um bringing the wachowskis in and letting them run wild over this whole thing uh would be a, a really interesting way to go i think agree it, i would like to see what they could do with this franchise they obviously have experience with ensemble films in their family so uh, yeah uh, so let's move on to another person on your list, and that is uh, my good friend, Dan Trachtenberg. Why Why would yes. Dan be good for this? I, I mean, I, I can't imagine him directing a Fast and the Furious movie, but but you can. So why is he, why is he your guy? Yeah, so I really love 10 Cloverfield Lane. I've met Dan like once or twice, but I, I'm not uh, friends with him or anything, so I don't really have like a, a personal bias or anything like that. But I, I really think 10 Cloverfield Lane is an exceptional directorial debut. Uh, the most... The real reason he's on this list is because I think he's actually uh, a more likely candidate than a lot of the other people. Um, I feel like he's way more likely than the Wachowskis, for example, to get hired on this movie because he has uh, a working relationship with Chris Morgan, who is uh, the writer-producer of the Fast and Furious franchise. They've been working on a time travel movie called Crime of the Century since, I think, like 2011 or something. They've been developing this project together. So the idea that Universal maybe wants somebody who... Uh, would answer to Vin Diesel, right? Since he apparently, all these rumors about how Vin Diesel is sort of uh, controlling and has a, a very strong hand in how all of this franchise sort of plays out. Uh, they would be looking for a film, an up-and-coming filmmaker, theoretically, who would uh, who would be willing to get the job done, but also sort of take orders from Vin Diesel. And I feel like Dan could pull that off um, and actually turn in, you know, a suspenseful, really excellently directed uh, piece of work there. So I am, uh, I'm, you know, have my fingers crossed for him, even if, uh, <laughs> if he ends up not getting the role, I'm still looking forward to, uh, to crime of the century, but we'll see what he does. Oh, for sure. And Dan also has a movie in the works called space race, which has been announced somewhere. I think at Sony or I forget where, but uh, I'm assuming he's not going to want to do two racing movies. But oh yeah, but I would like to see his Fast and Furious movie. But wait uh, a second, Peter. Let me tell. Let me ask you this: Is Space Race actually a secret Fast and Furious movie? In the same way that uh, <laughs> that uh, Valencia was actually a secret Cloverfield movie? Mm, questions. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. <laughs> but <laughs> probably not probable since it's not universal. But yeah. um, let's get to your last pick. And we skipped over a bunch of these. So you can read the whole list at SlashFilm.com. But your last pick, I think, is amazing. And that is Vin Diesel. Why Why should Vin Diesel direct a Fast and the Furious movie? Well, as we mentioned, it seems that he's extremely controlling about what happens on the sets of these films. Uh, there, there was a big story after The Fate of the Furious came out that Vin Diesel like single-handedly uh, killed a post-credit scene that was supposed to set up the Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham um, spinoff movie because it was shot without his knowledge. And he uh, 
uh, I mean, rightfully so, I think, feels a lot of ownership over this franchise. He has also directed a short film called Los Bandoleros that fills in the gaps between Tokyo Drift and the fourth film in the franchise, which is just called Fast and Furious. So he's technically directed a Fast and Furious movie before, even though it was just a short. Uh, he obviously knows everyone involved. He has an intimate knowledge of the story since he and Chris Morgan sort of um you know, generate ideas together. Uh, he is like the patriarch of this whole fast family. And I think uh, Universal might actually give him a shot to direct the movie. I think there were some rumors uh, when the fate of the furious was looking for a director that Universal was considering letting Vin Diesel direct that film. So it's not too far outside the realm of possibility that they would be looking at him to direct fast nine. What do you think about that, Peter? Would you actually, do you think that would be a good decision or, uh, you know, something that could be end up being a disaster? I think it could be, it could end up being a disaster. I think it would probably <laughs> end up being a disaster. And especially with one of the big stars of, the Fast and Furious films being The Rock, and there's notoriously a feud between him and Vin Diesel, mm-hmm. supposedly. We don't know. <laughs> you know, but, uh, it, it doesn't seem like that would be healthy for the future of that franchise. But anyways, any everybody can read the full list on SlashFilm.com. Ben, where can we find more of your work? Uh, you can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Look at that. We are under 30 minutes for once. That does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, any of the popular podcast apps. Please, if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review, rate us on iTunes, and spread the word. Tell your friends on social media about this podcast. This is a startup operation, and we are making no money on this podcast. So we're looking to expand our community. And I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.